quit being the world's best kept secret. Your time is now. Welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show, where we'll be discussing leadership, business, human potential, inspiring you to live rich from the inside out. Unlock your creativity, stretch out of your comfort zone, break through your barriers, take inspired action, and achieve epic results. Now here's your host, three-time best-selling author, speaker, and certified executive coach, Deborah Kozowski. Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Millionaire Woman Show, where we interview guests from around the world to educate, inspire, and motivate you into taking action. Today, I have Connie Whitman, known for her high energy, passionate, heart-centered, and enthusiastic approach to teaching and coaching. Connie Whitman has been the CEO of Whitman & Associates LLC for plus 20 years, helping ambitious business owners, leaders, and sales teams build powerhouse organizations. This three-time number one international best-selling author of her book, ESP, Easy Sales Process, Seven Steps to Sales Success, speaker, podcast host, and influencer, Connie's inspired teaching, transformational tools, and content ensure that business owners and salespeople grow their revenue streams through enhanced communication skills. As a podcast host, she is thrilled to share inspiring content on her two weekly international podcast, Heart Centered Sales Leader and Enlightenment of Change. Please welcome Connie Whitman to the Millionaire Woman Show. Hey, Deb, thanks so much for having me on. I'm really, really excited to be here and um, I'm excited for our conversation. Well, I'm so excited since I met you through Adam Shively and Michael Neely, our podcast buddies. And uh, it's always nice to watch the connection between podcast hosts. You know, not only are we able to share our own content, but we're able to, you know, reciprocate and collaborate in many different ways, bringing that content right up to the forefront for everyone to really gain access to us. Yeah. And it's all about relevant content, right? Trying to help others with your zone of genius for them to take these little tips and strategies, hopefully, and apply them into their business, their life, whatever, whatever it is they're trying to achieve. Right. So it's, it's just so much fun. It's so much fun being part of the podcast family. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I don't have, my expertise is not sales and you know, I've shared with you in the past that, you know, I have a nursing background. So if somebody needed a needle, I'll be right there. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I worked in hearts. I work, and mainly most of my career had been in management and leadership. So, you know, I can understand a lot of the business side of things and leadership side of things and life. But when it comes to sales, that's not my forte. So that's why I have you here to shed some light to our audience. So those of you who are listening on your drive or at the gym give a snapshot of where you are what you're listening to share some of the nuggets on your story tag us we'll share it as well yes and uh so let's jump in Connie. you got it your your system your baby so you know one of the things as soon as i think of sales you know people and i know in the movies it's really portrayed as something that's really icky it's like that brill cream grease back somebody's going to come slide over to you and say hey you want to make a deal <laughs> so why do you, why do professionals feel that icky while selling 
we're trained. Think about this. You know, Wolf of Wall Street, the, the movies, um, you know, Madoff, um, De Niro did a fabulous job uh, per impersonating or the movie Madoff, right? He made off with people's money. And the other one was Glenn Carey, Glenn something or other. Um, another one that it was hard sell, right? So we have been taught to put up these barriers naturally because we're all waiting for here comes the pitch. Here comes the sale. So as humans, because we've been so trained and, and I think we've all had that bad experience where someone just kept coming and coming and coming almost where you feel like you were beaten up and you're thinking, Oh my God, how do I, how do I get away from this? So all of those kind of emotional triggers have been taught to us. So as humans, we just, we put up those barriers automatically. So now flip it. I'm a business owner. And let's say you're you, when you were a nurse, right? You being a nurse and let's say then you had to go and, and get another job somewhere where well, you had to sell yourself. So all of a sudden, hey, I know how to be a nurse. I know all of the scientific piece, but now I have to sell myself? What? So that's the piece of the puzzle where it's not something you do every day and why it feels uncomfortable. Same thing for a business owner, right? If you're a business owner, your zone of genius is being a coach or being a speaker, whatever, whatever your um, expertise is. And now you have to get business. Well, that's where the sales comes in. So I think that for most people who are full-time salespeople, they've chosen that career. So that communication comes a little bit easier. But if it's not your main thrust of your job, that's where we feel that icky sleazy um, kind of vibe where because we've been manipulated in the past. It's kind of sad. Yeah. You know, I think of a time that I went into a car dealership. Mm -hmm. We sat in this one car and the seat fell back. And a guy looks at me. I said, um, I don't think we're going to go with this car. Well, what if I would throw in a, um, a Wii so the kids could have it while you drive? And I looked at him. I'm like, this car is not safe. <laughs> like, right? You know? So when I think of those experiences, like you said, we've had poor experiences when it comes to sales. But I was also listening to a podcast the other day when people are passionate what they do. That the reason why they go into that area, like for sales as an example, is because there is like, not only as an entrepreneur, there's a thrill of making the deal, right? And for the salesperson, not only the thrill of making the deal, I'm guessing, but is also the opportunity to serve someone getting what they need. That's the bigger piece of the puzzle, Deb, that I believe, because it, for me, especially because I teach, right? I teach salespeople for, you know, my 38 year career in sales. The past 20 has been taking all of that knowledge and training teams to go out and sell more effectively. But for me, that just means communicating and understanding your client so you can serve them bigger and better because you can't. And, and here's how, here's how I feel. And, and, you know, attorneys, accountants, bankers, where their full-time job isn't sales, but it's a big piece of their job. So that's that, again, that icky feeling. So I come in and say, but 
you know you're a good banker. You know you're a good attorney. You know you're a good CPA. Do you trust all the others out there in your industry? And I bet the answer is no. So if you're afraid to go out and communicate and share your zone of genius, your expertise with that potential client that you could be saving from maybe not having the right person or the right um, option offered to them, it's your responsibility. And that's how I think of sales. It's our responsibility to communicate with our client that perfect fit. If it's not a perfect fit, you're sleazy, icky, and manipulative. And then you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. Right? You know, that, that makes me think, and maybe you haven't read this book, but it's called um, Predictably Irrational. No, sounds interesting though. But it talks about, it's the, even in the first few pages, is it talks about the placement of a TV in, in a store or, and maybe this will come to you as well, is the placement of products so that they know that you're going to be drawn to a certain product more than others. Sure. So and it's irrational thinking. Like, and that's why it's called predictably irrational is that people will choose something that, you know, they don't even think that they would realize when the three are lined up together, but they'll often go for the middle one. Yeah, that's a lot of marketing in that marketing and sales are two very different things. So marketing, I stay in my lane. I hire people because that that's not my world at all. And it's funny in my book, in, uh, I think it's I think it's the first chapter, which, again, this is going to sound kind of counterintuitive. First chapter is love. That's the name of the, the title of the chapter. And then the first sentence says, if you're not selling from a place of love, care and respect, you're doing it wrong. Stop, like stop right now. And then my next sentence is, for those of you who don't know who Connie Whitman is, you're going, this chick's out of her mind. And I said, but read on to understand if you're coming across as that icky, sleazy, manipulative kind of yuck, right? You're doing it wrong. So just stop because it's not good for anybody. Yeah, and it, it just turns people off. But yes. I When I see a really good salesperson, I think of how brilliant they are and how they navigate helping people get to what they want. That's right. Like, wow, you, you actually listened or you did this and that. So I want to ask you, what is an objectionless buyer? What does that even mean? Yeah. And, and so this is kind of my, my quaint phrase that I've been, um, kind of came to me as working with someone. You probably know him, Jim Nysonger. I'm sure you know him. He's from the California West Coast area as well. And his zone of genius is marketing, really writing the right copy. And so he and I worked together and just through things I told him, stories of how I deal with my clients and my clients become my friends. And, and he says, Oh, so you teach people how to get to the objectionless buyer. And and I said, yeah, that's exactly what I do. So what the objectionless buyer is, if somebody's willing to sit with you and give you their time, right, which is very precious, they're there waiting for you to sell them. Now, for me, selling is really educating. So your job is to understand who the client is and then make that correct um, opportunity, option, recommendation, whatever it is. So the objectionless buyer is there, but it's like we started with before because of Madoff and you know Wolf of Wall Street. We've built these five barriers to get to that objectionless buyer that lives within every every prospect or client that we're sitting in front. So really, the question becomes: if the objectionless buyer is always there, how do I smoothly and easily get 
to that person and get through those barricades, right? Those barriers that we've naturally built up. That's really the piece of the puzzle. But the buyer is there for you. You just have to know how to, how to and I don't want to say manipulate because that's not the right word, how to maneuver to get the person and you to be on the same page. That's really the magic. I can imagine when someone's used to using a, a, a product or a service that has now changed and no longer in, in the way it is, and they're so comfortable with what they had, and you know, to, for the salesperson to be able to shift them to a different way of thinking, I'm sure there's got to be some resistance that shows up. Always. Can you tell me about some of the resistance? I think you call it the five walls of resistance for objectionless buyers. Yeah. And so the, the five walls, again, are taught. So I want you to think of, and I often tell the story of the three little pigs, right? Three little pigs. The first one's the straw. And if you will, the wolf. He's the, you know, manipulative salesperson. So we have some puffs and then we go through and then the three little pigs are safe in the brick wall. But the icky salesperson is relentless. They go get the chisel and they start banging, right? And getting rid of the, the brick wall. So what's happened now is we've, we've now gone past the three little pigs to the five little pigs and we've built fortresses with moats around it and nobody could get through. So the five layers that really we have to earn the respect of the client. And I use that word respect thoughtfully um, so that they do want to hear our offer or whatever it is that we can help them with. The first layer is time. Do, should I even give you my time? Like, are you a waste of my time? So that first one, you really have to show up and prove to me that number one, you, you're legit, like you know what you're doing. Number two, are you professional or are you that icky kind of vibe, right? We as humans it really takes about a nanosecond to make that first impression. So that's all of that, right? That first layer, should I even go any further with you? So think about how many times we can blow it right at that first step because we think, hey, I'm slick. I got all the answers. I'm the best thing out there. Well, the client feels that that um, arrogance and they're like, uh, no, you've lost the sale before you even have begun. So that's number one. Second one is, do I even feel that rapport with you? Do you get me, right? That it's, it's almost like a subconscious kind of uh, vibe. And at the end, I have a free gift that we could share with your listeners. It's my community style assessment. It's a free online quiz and it shares with you the key five behaviors that humans, how we communicate. So think about this, Deb. If 20% of the time, right, there's five different styles, 20% of the time I'm talking to people just like me, that means 80% of the time I'm talking to people who don't think like me, who don't speak as quickly or as slowly as me, who aren't methodical as me. So again, second step, if I can't connect with that person where they are, it doesn't matter where I am, I have to connect with them where they are, you've lost the sale. So I'll give you a good example with that. I fire fast, right? I talk fast, I move fast, I think fast, and I like big picture perspective. So if someone was trying to sell to me and they started getting caught in the weeds, I'm looking at them going, do you have a brochure? Because I, I don't have the patience for that, right? You've lost the sale. Give me the brochure. And, and clearly the, the brochure isn't going to make the sale reverse it. If I'm speaking to someone who needs to be in the weeds, 
I need to get in the weeds with them. That's my job as a salesperson. Well, before I even understand that, I have to understand what the five styles are. So that's the second layer. A little complicated, but that's really that second layer. And then the third layer is, am I armed with the right questions so that the customer doesn't feel like, remember the Spanish Inquisition, right? They tie you down, shine the light, and you go through the 20 questions. Horrifying. You want to have a conversation. So this one and the next step or the next layer kind of go, they're tethered together. So if I can ask really brilliant questions and then shut my mouth, I, I call it put the virtual duct tape on and then go into the next layer is listening. I have to really listen to the person's perspective. Doesn't mean what I think they need. What do they think they need? So between those two layers, you kind of have to play a little bit, but you want to make sure that you ask a question and then you should be listening 70% of the time. So for me, when you're asking those wonderful, really rich, deep questions, immediately you'll be listening 70% of the time because the client is speaking and sharing. That's who I want to get the information from, right? It doesn't matter what I think. And then the last um, one is, did I truly connect with them on such a deep, and I use the word intimate, not in a weird way, but if I truly connect with that human in front of me and we get each other and I get them, my presentation, I'm going to give them the right options for them. And another thing I believe in when I teach is no two people are the same. So why would you think that your product or your service or whatever it is that you're going to go in and say, this is, this is all I can do, take it or leave it. I feel that sometimes you say, well, this is my basic this basic product or service, but you know what I think you need too. Hey, my friend over here has this, or you know what else you should do where you give those little extra pieces of the puzzle. To me, that's when you connect, when you present really what that client needs. So that's the five layers that we have to break through. And breaking through really, like you said, it has that rapport, getting in the weeds with them, starting to navigate where they want to go. But also what I'm hearing you say is, you know, because each person's so different, you're not going to have a cookie cutter approach to every single person using the same technique. Correct. So is there a secret sauce? So interesting that you should say that. Yes. And you know who the secret sauce is? Not me, not my products, not out how I teach it. That's not the secret sauce. You are the secret sauce. So I believe that when, uh, it's so funny because when I train, um, my, my clients will say to me stuff like, ooh, can you say that again? I'll ask a question, right? They'll tell me the client's situation. I'm like, oh, I think I would ask it this way. Can you say it again? And then I think, what did I just say? <laughs> because I'm coming from my secret sauce, right? How I approach the client. So then what I do is I say, it doesn't matter how I said it. This is, this is where you want to go with the client. This is what you need to find out from the client. How would you ask it? So I would say, Deb, how would Deb ask that question? And then that's where you're the secret sauce, not me. Because as soon as you can become truly authentic and apply all of those steps, I have a seven-step sales process, the ESP process. Once you deliver or learn and understand all the sub-skills of the seven steps, but you're the secret sauce. It has to be in your words. It has to be you shifting to connect with that person heart to heart, right? From, you know, 80% of the clients aren't like this. Well, how do you connect with their heart if they're really wired differently? You have to understand them. You have to take the time to understand them. So I believe that my clients are the secret sauce, not me. So some of the most common objections 
our time, money, resources, I'm assuming like house sure. delivered or, you know, part of pro products. Um, when someone says, you know, I got to talk to my spouse as an example, what would be approach you would use with someone like that as, you know, just share with us a scenario scenario. I know it's not going to be the same for every person, but what would be something you would do if somebody said that? So here's the thing. You go back and one of those five barriers, you didn't do your job. So example would be, and, I, and I'll tell you, when I get to after the fifth step presenting my idea, the sixth step is really where you ask for the business, right? So three things should happen. I promise I'm going to answer your question. Three things should happen at that point. One, they say, where have you been all my life? What's the next step? Let's get this rocking and rolling. Right. Two, you say, you, Deb, you're not really ready for me. You have this marketing stuff. Your website's not up. You're still creating this. Yeah. You're not ready for me. It's just going to, it's going to complicate it. You're going to get frustrated. Let's stay in touch. I'll help you with this. I'll help you with that. Three to four months out, you and you'll be ready for me. So let's stay connected and we'll plan on four months kicking off me teaching you sales. So I, I, the customer says, yeah, let's do it. I say, mm, you're not ready for me. Or the third one, I'm not the right person for you. What your objective, what you're truly looking for, you need my colleague, Deborah. That's her zone of, of genius. Let me, let me do an intro email or let me get you both on a Zoom call. I could give some preliminary information. Notice in those three scenarios, I did not say objection. So your question of, I have to check with my partner. In the beginning, when you're building that rapport and you're asking those questions, first question you should ask. So listen, who are the decision makers, right? Who do we need to bring together to really have the meeting of the minds so that we cross every T and dot every I so we know exactly that we're taking the right path for you? Right there, somebody's going to say, well, yeah, I need my partner involved. Awesome. Let's do some preliminary stuff. So now instead of asking for the business, I would say to them, okay, so why don't we pull out our schedules and let's see if we could schedule a time that's mutually convenient and we could continue our conversation. And then in the meantime, I'm going to ask them to send me some things. I'm going to send them some things. So I'm building that relationship from a foundation of quality without asking for the business. So in those first five barriers, your job is to understand who that objectionless buyer is. So when you get there, you shouldn't get any objections. If you do, I'm telling you, look at one of the five previous steps. You messed up somewhere. You forgot something. You went too fast. You didn't build the rapport. You didn't ask enough questions. There's something missing from that complete picture. Honey, where have you been on my life? Because I have to tell you, this was a few years ago when I wasn't fully understanding the sales piece, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I thought I had my presentation all together. I had made a proposal. They set up an appointment. The first meeting, I have people dialing in, two people in the room. I give my pitch. They're intrigued. Then they say, come back with the product developed. So I stayed up late putting together this presentation and... Something, something happened, it crashed, my computer crashed. Oh. I rebuilt it, stayed up till three in the morning. I was in the office at nine. And only one person was there this time to greet me because they told me the next time we meet you, we'll have a contract. So I go through the whole presentation. She thinks it's great. And then she says, can you send over all your slides? I have to take it to the decision maker. 
And I was like, first of all, no contract, no slides. It's intellectual property. And uh, then she said, oh, okay, I guess our work is done here. And I was like, I guess it is. So how do you think, so just right there, how do you think you could have, based on what I've just taught you today, what do you think you could have done differently? And if, if you don't know, I certainly will share that with you. I would have found out, are you the one who's going to make the decision to hire me or not? And if you're not, I want to talk to you, talk to that person so I can answer any concerns that they That's have. Right. Because I, I've, I, after that, I read a whole bunch of sales books and they call that, those people the Seymours. They come to see more and then they come and translate that information. But it's also like playing telephone, right? If you played that telephone game with the string in the cans as a kid. Absolutely. You message and you keep passing it on. That the same message that I would have shared would not have gotten to the decision maker. Exactly right. And then, the, and then they would say, we don't need that. We're, we're good with what we have. We don't need that because they don't really understand what you were offering because the whole thing was watered down. So you need your genius. You need to talk to the decision maker because here's the thing. You might have talked to the decision maker and you might have said, this is not for you guys. You're not ready for me or whatever. Or I'm telling you, this I is the purpose. Because you know what? They weren't ready for me. And... They, they need me, but they're not ready for me. That's exactly right. But if you know that, right, no hard feelings, I'll share with you a really cool story. So one of my clients, I've been with them 15 years. They were rated for their region, number one bank in their region. Um, and no, not only because they work for me, I think I was a major contributing factor because I'm the only one who did the training for the entire organization. They're, they were at the time $8 billion or $11 billion now. But anyway, five years I followed up with them, Deb. And each time they wanted a bigger organization, they wanted more automation. And I'm thinking, you have no automation. Your people have zero skill. You, you're starting with zero skill. Again, this is you know almost 20 years ago. Wrong vendor, wrong vendor. I knew that. They didn't. They weren't ready for me. So what, what do you do though? I'm like, well, Okay, can I follow up with you? I'd love, I, you know, I love you. I'd love the opportunity. Um, you know, if I see articles, use me as a resource, all of those kinds of things. So for five years, I got to know all of these executives. They, they would call me on my birthday. I would call them on their birthday. Finally, five years, millions of dollars, millions of dollars later, they put out another RFP request for proposal. So I show up and they, I don't know what they said. I don't know what the question was. And I looked at them and I said, for five years, and I went through because I had kept on up with what they were doing. You did this. They weren't the right vendor because of this. You did this. They weren't the right vendor. They're all great vendors. They weren't right for you because, and I gave them the because, and they looked at each other around the room. And I said, so now let's not rebuild and throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's figure out who you want to be. Not what these other companies told you you have to be. I'm not cookie cutter. And that's why you need me. And they looked around and they go, yeah, we need you. And it, it's okay. But see, now you have to remember five years. They trusted me. I had built that rapport. I had shared resources with them, but they had to go through the pains of what they had to go through. And five years, how many millions of dollars later did I make working with that company? And then what, what happens too is you start with one department, then you work with another and then another. Before you know it, you're, you're helping them create the entire culture for the organization. You have to earn your place and you have to earn the respect. And I, I love like... 
That's why I say, where are you been? I've never heard someone say, you're not ready for me. And you know what? I think if someone said that to me, I'd be like, well, why am I not? Like, how come? Like, what's what's wrong with me? And suddenly, what does she know that I don't know? You know, these would be the things that would be going through my mind. But man, if I had said that statement, I think that would have been the most empowering because I did take it personally. I'm like, what do you mean? You got me to this stage, built this whole presentation. You say you love it. Now you just want to take it. I'm like, um, no. And I, okay. The tire kickers. But I never thought that, I never took it as you're not ready for me. I was like, you just don't understand what you're missing. <laughs> Isn't that, but that's okay too, to feel empowered. It's funny. I had a, I spoke with a client, I uh, did a speaking event and I share a template and then I work with them on creating a real effective 30 second commercial. I get it down to 17 words. So when you're in zoom, you could put it in the chat, but they, you know, it's a real quick of look at what I do, you know, to build that engagement. So I worked with her and she's like, oh, and I looked at her, I go, you're not ready for me yet. And she, she started laughing and she was building a website. She had just started, you know, I said, trust me. You're not ready for me. You'll get so frustrated because you're putting the cart before the horse. Get everything you need put in place, and then we'll talk about how to take it and scale it quickly. She was like, okay, that sounds great. But see, it was so funny because she's like, I'm not. I'm like, you're not ready for me. Trust me on this. Okay, I've been around a long time. But now what did that do with her? She goes, oh, I can't wait till we talk again. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So that's the other thing I want to for you to touch on you spent five years grooming for this opportunity like people would have just done it one time and walked away thinking no it's not a right fit it's we're done so how many times have you approached people before you got the sale so it depends on the size of the sale now you have to remember these contracts were six-figure contracts so it takes just a much longer period of time to secure that type of account because there's a lot of moving parts right and they were corporate clients and so many layers typically though what i say is depending on depending on the person, depending on the situation, it could be a one and done. I mean, sometimes I walk in and I'm like, Hey, this is what you need. I, I, sure. Another story. I had a, a client, I walked in and, and he said to me, it was about three hour ride from where I lived and in, in all the way up in Connecticut. And he looked at me and he goes, Oh, you didn't bring a PowerPoint. So I, cause I'm very professional, Deb. I went, huh? <laughs> he said to me, well, the other vendors, they all, they all brought PowerPoints. And I said, well, good for them. It's not how I roll. And this is how I talk. I go, this is, not, this is a CEO of a company. It's not how I roll. I said, I need to understand who you are. Who do you want to be? What have you done that works? What have you done that didn't work? What, what is your infrastructure? What is your technology? Before I know this, I don't even know where to begin to make a recommendation. Sure. Deb, I swear to God, he tilted his head and I thought to myself, I just made the sale. And so we sit, there's like 20 people in the room. We sit down. He says, Connie's got a lot of questions. And one of the things I said, you can't make this stuff up. Yeah. One of the things I said to him is, listen, I could have come Whitman and Associates. I could do A from Z. What if you need L, M, and N? Do you really care about A through L? You don't care. You're tuning out. You're not listening to me. I want to know L, M, and N. That's what you need for me. That's what I'm going to deliver. So we sit down and he says to the team, you know, all the other vendors, they did A through Z. What if we only need L, M, and N? Took everything for me not to fall off the chair. Of course, I got the business. And here's the funniest piece of this. This is why the story tickles me to this day. They didn't even know my price structure yet. I have a fee schedule, right? 
no idea what my fee schedule is. I walked out of there with schedule dates before you leave, Connie. We want to make sure we book you. I'm like, don't you want to see my cost? We, we want you. We just want you. Nice. Nicely done. There's that objectionless buyer. Your job is to get there and understand. And, and that's the other thing I think, Deborah. I treat people respectfully. Like, why would I go and, and excuse the, the disgusting term here, but like vomit product, women associates, I could do this and this, and that's all about me. Who cares? It's never about me. And as soon as I said, I need to know who you are. What do you want to build? It's not my culture. It's your culture. And he was like, like, no one has ever said that to me before. Wow. That's fascinating. Awesome. People are fascinating. <laughs> What's your core philosophy when it comes to sales and creating that win-win-win for you, the client, and the organization? And I think yeah. you shared a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, and and really, that's that's the summation here uh, for me, Deb. If the client, first and foremost, if the client is not better off after meeting me with whatever that means, right? So when I was selling investments. If I didn't help them with a budget, if I didn't teach them what a mutual fund versus an annuity versus what a stock option is, right? If I didn't educate them so that no matter who they sat in front of going forward, right? If, they, if I was no longer in the business, which I'm not anymore, that they knew what questions to ask. I took that very personally and very seriously because it was my responsibility because I did have all this knowledge and 80% of, of the world, they, they just don't know how to manage money, right? So here I'm gifted and I've had all this education. So that was first and foremost, the customer has to be better after meeting me and leaving me than they were before. That's the win for them. The second win is I'm making money as well. I do not apologize for getting paid for what I do because it's, it's so funny because what I do do, oh, that sounded funny, what I do do, but what I do is you, there's, a, there's a tangible ROI, right? So if you spend X with me, you're going to make 10, 20, you know, 100 X on the back end once you really absorb and learn all of these skills. So it's a win for me. It's win for the client first and foremost. And then your organization wins. You can grow and scale and hire more people and donate more and set up foundations, right? Isn't that what we're here for, to help each other? So that's the win, win, win for me. It's not just, I have to make money. Yes, I make money and I love making money, but I love helping my client. At the core, it's about the client. It's really not about me. The money is almost a secondary piece, believe it or not. Isn't that funny? Yeah. And you know what? As I Ever since the beginning of the interview, I've been meaning to ask you this question. What was your first job? And how does it fit into what you do now? This is such a fascinating question. So my first job, I worked at a, um, I hated it too. It was a um, English flea market. It was a flea market outside, freezing hot weather. And I sold whatever it was that I sold because I was, you know, 13 years old. That's where I could get a job and I wanted money, right? I wanted to, I wanted to be able to buy the things I wanted to buy because my parents, you know, they weren't affluent at, at the time anyway. So that was my first job. But the first time I think I ever sold anything, I think I was five. And I was just reflecting with someone uh, today about this. So I have four siblings. There's four of us in the family. And every time we would want to do something, my dad worked very long hours. My grandparents lived upstairs, typical Italian family. My mom didn't have a car. And she had four kids. Poor woman. Must have been miserable. Okay. 
So anytime we wanted to do anything, her natural instinct was no, because she was probably exhausted. So my siblings and I would say, go ask mom if we can do whatever it was. I'm like, why don't you go? Because you're really good at asking. So this is what I would do. I was five years old. I would go and go, ma, we want to do whatever it is we want to do. I go, but stop. I don't want an answer. I want you to hear me out and then think about it and then give us an answer. And what I would do is I would say what we wanted, why we wanted it, and what was in it for her. You'll get a break if our aunts take us to the park. Then you could take a break. You won't have us up under your feet anymore. And I know you don't have a car, but then Aunt Jo could borrow Grandpa's car. So I had all the answers. I was handling objections and giving her the benefits. And then at the end, I swear that I would say to her, I don't, I go, maybe is good, but a maybe to the yes side is really what we're looking for. And I go, so think about it. And I would walk away 50% of the time. And she, so can you imagine, she must've been hysterical. Like, what is this kid doing? And then 50% of the time she would say yes. 50% there was no for whatever, you know, whatever reasons. But my siblings, they were always like, you go, you go. Never, I recently shared this story and I was hysterical thinking, I haven't thought of that in years. So I think I was naturally, I understood human nature to think, well, what's in it for her? You know, it's more work for this poor woman. Even though I was a kid, I think subconsciously I understood. I have to plead my case so it wins for mom, right? Yeah, exactly. It's hysterical. So we're we're about to wrap up here. I could talk like we could have a long show. We're I know. <laughs> um, so, what is one book that has really impacted your life? I know writing a book is one thing, but you know, reading a book that has influenced your life to lead you or shift your perspective of life. What what would be one of those books that's done that for you? I, I can't even say one. Uh, Zig Ziglar. I read him in college. I had some project, and I read his book. My life changed forever right? That was Zig, anything Zig Ziglar. I've read everything he's written. The other one is Wayne Dyer. So I have this very spiritual side. And when I read his books, especially, I think my favorite with him is Wishes Fulfilled. He gives you the exercises at the end. It's not a read fast, right? It's a read, really a contemplate and absorb. And just the way he explains things. So when I'm having a bad day, like I think, the ocean, right? I am part of the ocean. I am, right? Part of the universe. So D Wayne Dyer. And the other one you're going to laugh at, it's The Alchemist. Oh, it's a no, beautiful, I beautiful. <laughs> and you know what? I don't know if this happens for you when you think of The Alchemist, Connie, but now when I think of my YouTube channel or this podcast, to think that someone would when they take it and they share it with someone else, how then it's shared with another person and how it lives on can bring me to tears if I, if I can get myself to sit there with it. Absolutely. I was like, that's the book that made me appreciate the work that I do. Absolutely. We're the pebble, Deborah, we're the pebble. And, and for me, I don't know that I'll ever know the repercussions, right? Or the, the, the ripple effect that I've had on others' lives. I just hope when people look back, they think, oh, I learned that from Connie. I love what Connie said. And, oh, I loved being in her presence. Or, you know, she was so easy to be around. Whatever those ripple effects are, I hope they're long lasting. And that's why I love doing the podcast too, because it's sharing this. It's having a conversation with a friend, right? And just sharing some good content. And hopefully people take a tip or two and apply it. It's all good. Yeah. And I think, Connie, the one thing that I'm for sure impacted by you today, just in our interview, not that there wasn't a lot more. One is the objection of fire. The biggest thing is you're not ready for me. 
ready to say that too. I don't, you know, and that will be like, and you know, that comes across so confident as well to say, you know what? You're not ready, but when you are, you know where to find me. And you want to stay in touch. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Don't let that one go. <laughs> yeah, able to come from a place that you can groom the opportunity, right? To share with them what they need. Cause sometimes, you know, it could be a change in leadership or, you know, cause that I talk about it sometimes that it's my pet peeve when people say, well, we already did it that way. Well, obviously it didn't work that time, but we have new people on board. We have different economy. We have all these changes around us. What makes you think it's not going to work? with taking the learnings that you had before. That's right. And build. It's always about building, right? So I love what you just said. It's not about, oh, we're not going to do that because it didn't work. It's like, whoa, what did work? And now let's build from there. You don't, and I think that's the problem, Deborah. Everybody thinks, oh, well, that didn't work. So let's start from scratch again. You keep starting over. Holy crap. How much time are you losing where some of the bricks you put down, they're probably good. Let's build on those bricks, not just, you know, eliminate, the, the, bring the tsunami in, right? Let's clean, let's clean house and start over again. I just don't believe in that. I, I think that it, again, I don't believe in cookie cutter anything though. I think everybody, every situation deserves my respect to understand it before I even open my mouth with a recommendation. Yeah, well, this has been so much fun. So my final question for you is, what does it mean to you to live rich from the inside out? Wow. Um, I think showing up every day and just being my best self and, and not only just from the business aspect, because for me, it's, it's adding richness to others' lives and my family. I hope that they look back and think, oh, mom taught me that. Oh, I learned that from my mom. My mom was the hardest worker, right? My mom, my kids are looking to open their own businesses, right? That entrepreneurial spirit. So to me, that's the richness of, of paying it forward, right? Sharing, sharing who you are, all of you, not holding anything back. Well, you know, the biggest thing that people are waiting or that are watching and listening is how do we stay in touch with Connie? How, how do we get that free gift that she was talking about, that resource that is going to be life changing? Yes. So yeah, honestly, and you get a little report, which will tell you your superpowers, your communication superpowers. And you also get a report spotlighting your blind spots. We have to understand our blind spots because I'm not saying you'll ever get good at the blind spot, but you need, you need to know how to manage it, especially when you're talking to clients. So if they go to Whitman Associates, so it's W-H-I-T, M-A-N-A-S-S-O-C, so WhitmanAssoc.com slash, and it's C-S-A, Communication Style Assessment. But Deb, if they go to my website, WhitmanAssoc.com, I have a ton of free resources. I have a resource page. My podcasts are on there. They, they can email me. So one-stop shop, WhitmanAssoc.com. You get everything from me. And as I said earlier, please, wherever you are, take a snapshot of you listening. Yes. Take a snapshot of the cover art and put in some of the tips and strategies that you learned. Remember, you're not ready for me is one of the primers. <laughs> <laughs> Connie's infamous words. <laughs> Connie's words of wisdom. And then probably the title of her next book. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. And uh, we just want you to continue to share the love. As Connie talked about, you know, you're sharing this information, you're sharing it with family, friends, colleagues that need to step up their game. You know, we're all about raising the bar so you can have that richness in life. Absolutely. And, you know, and it's all through these principles of life, leadership and business is where we're taking you. And today was all about 
a different perspective of sales and helping you lead the way. I'd also love for you to go over to my website at www.debrakazowski.com. You're going to get your three-part video course of Making Habits Stick. Build some focus and consistency into your life, your business, or whatever you're working on to make it a reality. Also, if you're looking at coaching or learning more about podcasting, you can send me a message, DM me, or send me an email at debra@debrakazowski.com. Go over to the website. There's contact forms there. As Muhammad Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. And Connie, thank you so much for joining us here on the Thank podcast. you, Deb. Really, really a pleasure. Thank you so much. It was a wonderful experience having you here. So thank go you. Out and make today great, everyone. <music>